Welcome to Rowan College of Burlington County's Baroness Podcast. I'm Dr. Brooke Myatt, Program Chair and Assistant Professor of our Entertainment Technologies Department. I'm a co-chair of the Women's Advocacy Group, a subcommittee of the President's Advisory Council on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. This monthly series highlights women in leadership while encouraging listeners to build their skills, connect with the community, and visualize the opportunities available to women in various professions. Tune in for a female perspective on the Burlington County community. We are here to listen to these amazing women. If you want to hear from women who lead and inspire, this podcast is for you. Today, joining us on the Baroness Podcast is Dr. June DePonte Cernak, Center for Family Services Statewide Diversity Consultant. That is a long title, ma'am. It is. Wow. Well, I want to say thank you so much for being here. I would say that I'm probably one of the reasons, actually, you're one of the reasons why I'm sitting here because you helped start the DEI group here at RCBC. But before we dive into that, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, and thank you for giving me this opportunity to be here. I absolutely love um, the title of this and everything that it stands for. So oddly enough, I started in telecommunications. I was 25 years in telecom. I worked for MCI. I worked for Nextel and Sprint. Um, I lived through four major corporate mergers, and when Sprint wow. was bought by SoftBank, I was one of the first to be downsized. I was the only woman on my team and the oldest. Wow. Working in New York, I did in what was now known as the Internet of Things. It was back then; it was machine to machine, so sure. cybersecurity and supply chain things. Um, and I loved that. I, I really had a great run, um, and I thought, "Oh my goodness, what do I do next?" Um, And a friend of mine who was an engineer at Sprint said, I have a great job for you. You'll be wildly happy and make no money. And he was on the board of the Red Cross. And so here I became the executive director of the Red Cross, absolutely wildly happy, didn't make a whole lot of money. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And really to subsidize that, I started teaching. And I started teaching at Rowan College at Burlington County. And I loved teaching the business courses. And lo and behold, when the dean position for lifelong learning opened up, I thought, wow, I get an opportunity to marry nonprofit, corporate, and education, yeah. and really just have a love for all the things that I was doing um, and love the students in Burlington County. It was just a fabulous experience. It is awesome. And I, and you know, we met just so like offhandedly talking in the hallway, and then we would see each other at functions. And, you know, thank you for starting this DEI group. Why don't you tell us where that all came from for, so, for you. In 2018, when I started at Rowan College of Burlington County, um, and I would meet different people that worked in the school, um, we had a partnership with Wilmington University. And I saw so many women in academics that were at the doctoral level. And I thought, oh, higher education is going to be my future. That'll be where I'm right. going to stay for the, the rest of my yeah. years. Um, and I want to be able to perfect that. I knew that in corporate America, I had training after training after training. So I knew my skill set, you know, bar none. So I thought in education, since this is fairly new to me, I would go and achieve another degree that would at least give me the confidence that I was on par with a lot of my peers and and others in the academic space. Certainly. 
So when I started to apply to Wilmington University and I thought, what do I really, because they said, know your topic that you're going to study. You're going to be married to it for quite some time and make sure that you love it. You because certainly are. <laughs> it's, it's in your mind forever. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I come from such a diverse family background. I really want to dive a little bit deeper in that. And I want to think, what is it that chief diversity officers are really doing to make them successful? So I started my dissertation work. So I literally approached um, the president of the college and I said, hey, I'm going to be researching this forever. I'd love to do more diversity work for the college. And can I kind of use this as my test bed? I'm going to research four-year and two-year institutions, see what other awesome. schools are doing in New Jersey. And that was going to be my my entire thesis was going to be around, my dissertation was going to be around higher education, education. and chief diversity. Yeah. Well, then my dissertation chair said, you can't limit it to education. You've got to go back and look oh at business and government. And that's what I ended up doing. I acclimated all of them. So we, I wrote the 60 page. I was going to say, that's a broad topic for a dissertation. Good for it you. It was. Yeah. Um, and so I got really overzealous and I had a 60 page proposal that I gave to the president and wow. said, hey, this is what I found that these schools are doing. And I talked about University of Michigan. And you said, and I want to do crazy. that here at RCBC. I did. And, and, and here we are. And everybody looked at me like, what You're are you crazy. talking about? Well, right. right. And then I pulled statistics and I said, you know, here's your you know, graduation rates for students of color. Here's what women are doing. Right. Here's some additional areas. Here's what Union County and Community I, College is and doing. And I think this that's a struggle. And one of my first questions was, you know, this word DEI is being mm -hmm. thrown around and no one understands it fully. Like, what does it mean? What is it? There's so many elements. There's so many unique pathways that it can take. And I know we spoke about this. What does that term mean to you? What does DEI mean to you? So I think what people do is they get confused with the compliance piece and they look at affirmative action. Agreed. They look at, oh, I need to have more brown faces in the room. So I'm going to check that off and I'm going to keep moving. It's just boxes. Let's go down. The, let's go down there and check out which boxes we can check. And for me, it's, it's not that at all. Correct. What I really enjoy, and actually I just finished the eCornell Diversity and Inclusion um, Certificate Program, and one of my favorite parts of this was about fostering inclusion. So we've now taken this, and even at Center for Family Services, which is a remarkably inclusive organization with 2,000 employees, but what we do literally is we look at the leadership component of what it takes to be culturally competent. What's the language? What's the marketing? What's all the different things? What's in your employee handbook that tells you what your employee base should have? So updating paternity and maternity rights. Totally. Updating yeah. bereavement practices. Updating things that are culturally initiative. Gender neutral bathrooms. And everyone is included in this. It's not one person's job. It's everybody's job. Yeah, everybody's got to work together. It doesn't matter what village. your role is. It, you have a role in being culturally competent. And, and there's a, a continuum that we make sure that people have their own cultural humility. We make sure that you, first you understand your, your own culture, um, and then you branch out and you understand others. And as you keep doing that, um, and there's so many great examples of things that I've seen, and my dissertation work was just so fascinating. There are so many times that we come in contact with someone and we're not 100% sure why they do the things that they do. Sure. All of a sudden when you hear where things come from, you cannot, you know, ever have that leave you. You go, oh my right. God, that was fascinating. Tell right. me more. Exactly. So if you're inquisitive, this is the best environment to be in. And 
you have, like you said, such this unique background. Can you share sure. growing up family life? Because when you started telling me about the story, I was just blown away by by the family and how you grew up and the stories of your grandmother. Yeah. And- so my dad's parents, um, they are Native American from the Powhatan Ranipi tribe, which is part of the Lenni Lenape clan that moved to New Jersey in yeah. the 1800s. So when they, the five families came to this area, Delaware, Virginia, New Jersey, um, they were part of that. Um, so large families, very resourceful, very spiritual, um, very much nurturing, you know, and so women in the Native American community, you know, when sometimes we look at things now, women are relegated to like these kind of like household types of behavior. For Native Americans, that's the nurturing piece that they do to keep their families together. They sustain nutrients, whether it's sure. through food or through spiritual mm-hmm. activity or whatever the case may be. So I learned that piece of that on my dad's side. My mother's side, uh, my mother's grandmother was um, African-American, that she was a domestic, and through a relationship ended up having my grandmother. So my grandmother was mixed, um, half black, half Irish-ish. Um, and then my grandmother met my grandfather, who was, you know, 20 years her senior. He was from Sicily, came over through Ellis Island Amazing after the war. Story, yeah. Um, and they had four children, my mom being one of them. Well, sadly enough, my grandfather had passed away. My mom was little. And what I didn't realize until I was doing my dissertation work that interracial marriage was illegal till 1972. I had no idea until you shared that with me. That yeah. was so interesting. I had no idea. So even though it wasn't technically illegal in New Jersey, it was still frowned upon, um, especially sure. in different neighborhoods. So when he passed away, my grandmother then had four little children yeah. that were, you know, definitely looked, you know, a couple different nationalities that they could have fit into sure. at the time, but definitely not the norm. Um, and then my grandmother ended up marrying um, a black man who was one of the first African-American police officers in Burlington City, which is just tremendous in itself. And they had eight more children. So my mom's now one of 12. So I thought everybody's family looked like mine, very racially right. diverse sure. um, from, you know, skin tone to hair color to eye color, whatever the case may be. I never gave it a second thought that that wasn't. Because that was your norm. 110%. Yeah. Um, and then as I started to, you know, you go out, you meet other people and you have other norms, you do realize that there's so many cultural differences. Um, and back then we didn't have terms for it. Now we do. Right. You know, we have terms like microaggressions and bias and all the things that we were accustomed to. Um, that but didn't know how to express it. Not even a little bit. Properly. Not even yeah. a little bit. So I looked at all those different things. Um, I didn't believe the Native American stories my grandmother told me because they weren't in our textbooks. So when I started sure. to peel all those things back in my dissertation work, I was floored at how many things I was even teaching as a professor that were incorrect. Um, that weren't the whole story. So, you know, now I know better and I do better. But I, I mean, it, it's just been a tremendous journey to be able to share, you know, all those experiences. You are certainly a journey filled lady. Um, if if anybody knows Dr. Cernak, she is out in social media. She's out in the world. And you are out in Burlington County, which I love. And and it comes back, one of the things we share on this podcast is community. And that, mm-hmm. I when I talk to you, I know that it's such a powerful thing for you about being part of the community. How has RCBC and been part of the the community of teaching and then Dean and all these other activities you've been in. How does that make you feel being part of this 
RCBC community and the Burlington County community. So literally one of my favorite titles I've ever had was Dean of Lifelong Learning. I think that really marries all the things that I love to do. So I love to see the activities that we did with the younger students that we came in. When we had high school students and they would come to this campus and we would have them tour or we would do mentoring programs with the commissioners, um, all these different things, you could see them be so bright and, and curious and interested in what's going on. Then as you started to talk to the college students, you realized that they had so many different areas. I, I was always amazed that you know, teaching in the evening, I had students that were returning adults that were coming back to change their lifestyles. And then we also had traditional students that came through. But you had students that were taking care of their children. They were taking care of their parents. So many different things. That's the beauty I love of this school. 100%. I mean, I absolutely love it. I love going to the local wherever coffee shop and my student is working or they see me out with my mm-hmm. my my family or, you know, um, like you said, you have people who are working during the day and they're coming back for a second career or a senior that comes in and, and wants a change of, of, of scenery of the, the monotony of what they were doing at their job. That is the beauty of a community college and not many people get to experience that. And the senior program was one of the most rewarding because not only was it um, the non-credit courses that we did to offer uh, along with the four credit courses, but the senior programming where I met so many senior leaders in the LIFE program, which is the Learning is for Everyone. So these were retired educators. These were retired executives that brought their time and talent back to us and actually taught the community. Um, one of my favorite instructors, um, Dr. Jackie, um, I learned so much from her, even during the pandemic, she said, you know, I have a really great idea about bringing in um, a, a podcast and or a video cast about Gerda Lerner. And I said, I don't know who Gerda Lerner is. Can you enlighten me? And here she had contacted the woman in Berlin, Germany, who actually did her life story, um, promoted her, her video, uh, Why Women Need to Move Mountains. We ended up doing it over Zoom, which was on a Saturday morning during <laughs> Women's History Month last year. I mean, who would have thought that we would have had so many yeah. people and had Amazing. the producer from Berlin jump on to talk about Gerda's One of life. the great things about Zoom that you wouldn't have been able to do prior, but it's really connected people in so many different levels. And she's been a true force for me. I mean, we just did an event locally um, for a woman who, um, it's just amazing, 92 years old. Um, she started the Underground Railroad Museum, wow. uh, Louise Calloway, uh-huh. and we just had a whole service for her last week at the at the library here in Burlington County. So the amount of history in Burlington County alone is just unbelievable. I mean, our college is built on Lenny Lenape land. We yeah. have that land acknowledgement. Your family's land. It, it, which is also amazing, amazing to think about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's just so many benefits to being included here, and there's so much history here. You know, you are someone that always supports women. And, and when, you know, I was like, who can we bring on on this Baroness podcast of, of inspiring women? I don't think I ever see you not in a photo of other powerful women in Burlington County. People don't understand that being a woman, it, it is different. It's just different. Why is it different being a woman? There's so many traditional roles that women um, are, are really um, relegated to. And for me, 
it's about lifting up and empowering other women. I clap for everybody else. And then when it's my turn, they clap for me. And that has been the most meaningful thing. I didn't get here by myself. Right. Um, Supporting. Literally, when I decided to, to go for the doctor degree, I had to send, you know, a couple letters of recommendation. And I called my posse of divas and I said, hey, um, could you help me out with this? I think I want to do this. And I didn't get, what are you doing? Why would you do this? You're too old for this or any of that. I got, okay, when do you need it? Bye. And, and we'll write the letter. It's now my job to pay that forward. It's always going to be my job to help out the next person and connect people and be that conduit. I always say that, you know, it's much education as I might have even in the DEI space. You can never be an expert in this area. There's there's too many different, you know, areas yeah, to grow in the yeah, continuum. Sure. But if I can be a conduit to help people connect each other and to help network together, that's a, a beautiful thing to be able to do that and to be able to share that insight. And there's fabulous, fabulous women doing amazing work in this county. So if I have an opportunity to be on a committee that's going to give an award I'm going to make sure that I'm going to throw somebody's hat in the ring. And, hey, did you see that this person has done these things? Um, recently, I'm on the board of the 200 Club, and we were able to award um, uh, Phyllis Worrell, who's – I knew her from the, the co-ad days of me working in the um, Red Cross. But one of the things that she did at Virtual was when they did the, the Centers for um, COVID Vaccines in Morristown, which was exemplary for the rest of the state, they had a sensory room set up. For people with sensory issues to be able I to come I thought that in. was amazing. I, Such a smart idea. I know. It's not something that gets put out into the newspapers. And she's so humble. She would have never raised her hand to say, hey, look what we did. That's a huge milestone. So we're able amazing. now to, to share that with other people. And that's what I love doing. I love to listen to other people's stories and be able to incorporate that. And I think your story is really powerful because um, I know you've touched on it a few times, but... Um, and myself, we've gone back to, we went back to, um, academia later in life to finish our degree. Not everybody does that. And I think that journey for you was really powerful. Can you share with our listeners why you decided to go back at this time in your life and, and what made you do that? I really was super curious um, in the past couple of years with everything that I saw under this diversity, equity, and inclusion umbrella. Um, and, and granted, the, the murder of George Floyd just was a tipping point in our nation yes, and huge. you know, political strife and economic strife. Yeah. And I thought, I need to really understand why people think like this. Why do people have it um, against things and that intersectionality that we have within certain, you know, groups of diverse population? I need to understand where this comes from. And I wanted the truth. So now, you know, terms like critical race theory come out. And, and, but a lot of people are really fearful of these conversations. And I said, I, I'm not afraid of this. I want to know the good, bad and the ugly. And there's a lot of ugly in history. But I wanted to be able to understand what possible reason do people have to feel the way they do and what can we do to, to make that change? Um, and so in just some small way to change the paradigm a little bit, if you can just have a conversation with someone to understand that these cultural nuances, we have more similarities than we do differences, that this would be a great time to do that. I found a program at Wilmington U that really fit my personality. Um, and it was just perfect timing. Um, my daughter is now 23, so it was a time where she was finishing up high school and college herself. 
Um, my husband actually graduated with his degree and um, as a again an adult student sure, after adult all these learner, years. Yeah. So we all graduated in, within the past twelve months, which is just oh a, an gosh. amazing achievement in my house. But I knew it was a good time for our family, and we made the decision together to do all sure. these things with education because we knew we'd miss certain things. We'd miss time with people. We'd miss certain things. And there's a lot of work. It's financial and it's a lot of work. But we made that commitment together as a family that we would see each other through. And we've all now achieved that. And it's a fantastic milestone. And it really has changed the dynamic of our family too, because I can see even the conversations that we have are just a little bit different. You know, some days I could hear my husband upstairs screaming that the Alex system didn't work for him (laughs) in some (laughs) program. My daughter was frustrated with researching something and then my computer wasn't working. So we were all in it together. You know, and I think that's so special to have a support system. And as women, I know you said your family is your support system. You also said you have this posse of divas, which I absolutely love. I might borrow that term. (laughs) Um, How important is that as a female? We've spoken about this on other um, episodes of The Baroness about having this support system as women, who we need in that support system and, and who you look who you look for. Does it just happen or or what is that for everybody? I think that um, that the group of women that I'm friendly with, you know, maybe have started out that we met through some sort of business connection and then realized that we really just enjoyed each other's company. The important thing is we also don't take our business connections lightly. We don't shortchange each other. We don't say, can you give me a discount for whatever it is that you're doing? We we make sure that we honor um, the business piece of it just as much as we honor our friendship. So it's built on a mutual respect, which I think sometimes women look at other women and go, oh, you have this business. Could you you know cut me a slack? And, and that's not what this is about. We've also built kind of this organization where we know that together we are even more powerful in the county. So we each have different areas. So I know if I need someone, uh, you know, during COVID when so many businesses were struggling financially, I knew that one of my divas is uh, in banking. I know another one of my divas manages a, a, the chamber and could bring back all those other resources that people need to learn about to establish a small business that you might not know where to, to go the resources from. One's forensic accounting. One, you know, everybody does something different. So we're able to bring all this in, and you know, one has a kind of an IT background, and one, then a business. Everybody's background. got their own little rock star like area, and, and you and go it works. and do it. And yeah, and it works. But we also make time for each other. So, um, you know, my husband's fantastic, but he, he works for Estee Lauder. He works in supply chain. He's busy. So if we can make time for each other a couple of times a week and maybe do something fun or support another person's organization, uh, I'm still home by the time he gets home and dinner's still on the table and I'm still doing stuff with my family. So it's never cutting into family time. I'm sure some people go, oh, my God, they're out again. It's not that. We are managing everything. But we need... I need that time to not be somebody's mom, somebody's wife, somebody's whatever. I needed to be me. Um, and that's what I get to do with, with the other divas that I'm with. And that's that work-life balance piece that a lot of people mm-hmm. talk about. Um, tips tips for people listening about how, how you mm-hmm. do that. How do you do the work-life balance? How do you, you know, I know you say you do it, but is there a something special that happens when you start you know, making your calendar or you do a certain percentage, you know, you do this week and next week and how do you manage everything? You know, it it wasn't easy. Um, And there were things that I missed, especially when school was a big part of my life. Certainly. Um, 
And I, I guarantee you that I drove everybody crazy when I said, I, I have to edit my paper. That was the term that everybody goes, if you say that to me oh one more gosh, time, I know. we're just going to, you know. How many versions do you think you've done? I mean, I can't even imagine. Me too. It was it's... close to six months of editing. I know. It's crazy. And, and I was not um, a good APA student. I was really frustrated with. That's you know. come up again previously, too. <laughs> I was not an APA 7 person. And I was like, this is not going to be no. good. I mm-hmm. actually hired. A, an editor, an APA uh, editor, mm-hmm. because it was tough. Uh, it just wasn't my wheelhouse. But you, but see, like you and I, we we knew when to give it up. We knew when to do it. You knew when to balance that out. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't take that on. That wasn't mm-hmm. something I could take on my plate. And that's another work life balance. Like, how would you, you know, how do you tell? How do you share with our listeners? How can they do that? So. You have to find, first of all, you have to do things that you enjoy. So you have to find whatever those things are. The other thing is you don't need to be everything to everyone. Um, Love that. I'm not a great housewife. I have piles of clothes everywhere in my house. You know, I'm stickler for certain things, you know, for cleaning certain things. But other things, I'm never going to stop on a Saturday morning and do like what I grew up having where, oh, strip the beds and do the laundry and scrub things before you can go somewhere. I'm like, I'm going out and that can wait. I, I told my husband it's never going to be on my tombstone that I, I did the laundry. I was like, so this is where we're going to end up and yeah. and we're going to enjoy ourselves. And I think that's what we've tried to do. We Every week we try to make a memory. Um, and through one of my um, divas, she had a, a guest speaker come into one of the chamber events, um, Luann Khan, who was a TV personality. Yes, I love Luann Khan, yeah. And she had talked about her journey, her journey through illness. And she had this conversation with her daughter that she was going to do something different every day for 365 days. She said one day she even walked the dog around the block backwards or something like that. And I thought, wow, I can't commit to every day, but I can commit to doing something different every month. Yeah. So that's what we've done. We try different food. We go different places. So my husband and I actually put something on the calendar for at least something every week. Okay. Um, so we go somewhere at some point during the weekend, um, whether it's a car show. Actually, this week we're going to Jim Thorpe and we're doing a train excursion out to cool. Pennsylvania um, with his uncle and, and his uncle's uh, grandson. So we have things that we love to do. Um, he went with me last week. I, I said, <laughs> The Barbie truck is coming to Center City. Will you come with me? And he thought I was like out of my mind. And it was fun. It was adorable. But, you know, we know what we like to do and we spend time doing that. That's the most important thing. Well, it's a give and take, right? Sure. And, and I think a lot of people don't realize the, the give and take. It can't be all me, me, me. It's Mm-mm. It's got to be a shared commitment. No, and we, we drag our daughter with us everywhere. We get, you know, to spend like a lot of time with her. So I think those are all the things that we're doing. And now because we've done so many things with her, you know, she works in Manhattan. She's in New York today. I, to have a 23-year-old who's confident enough to take a train into the city and work and travel around the country comes from sharing all those memories. And, and she was in New York before she was well, like out of a stroller. I was going to say, she's seeing that example held by you. Mm-hmm. So now she can do it. Yeah. What would you tell, similar to your daughter, what would you tell young women I would like to tell people don't be afraid. I'd like to tell people to try things and to um, really enjoy the things that they're doing, um, to memorialize everything, take pictures, write things down, journal, 
think about all the things that you get to do and then reflect back on them because not every day is a happy day. And some days during the dissertation process or just other days, I had a horrible bout with an illness eight years ago. And I thought, man, if I could ever see my way clear to be healthy again, I'm going to take advantage of doing all the things that I didn't get a chance to do when I physically couldn't do them. Um, and I've, I've done that. Um, and I, so you made I like a bucket on, list. I, I made I definitely know. that list of, you know, I want to go and try different things. Last year for my birthday, my husband and I, because just when COVID started to lift, we went to a place in New York City called The Edge. It's in Hudson Yard. It's 106 stories up, and it's literally a triangle protrusion on a building in Hudson Yard that you look over a glass enclosed area. Oh, my gosh. So most people would throw up to, to yeah. do that. And I said, we're doing it. We get in the elevator. We jet oh up to gosh. this area. We're looking out. This amazing view of the city. And then we had this crazy lunch, you know, grilled octopus and all this stuff at, like, one of the Asian fusion yeah. restaurants there. And most people would probably go, what, what in the world are you yeah. doing? And I said, we had a great time. It was fun. It was yeah. a great time. Just enjoy. It. And and the change of the view. I think that's the one thing I would always tell, um, you know, especially young people coming in. Change your view just a little bit. Um, whether your viewpoint is coming from reading and, you know, if you can't physically get to a new spot, there are so many different things that you can do now um, just even through the internet, that you can go and you can tour different sites and just see different things. If you have an opportunity to try different food, if you, anything, you know, don't put your nose up unless you've tried it and then go, well, I don't really care for that. Um, and maybe that was my old um, IBM teachings from back in the day when yes. if you were um, in a meeting and you put salt and pepper on your food before you tasted it like you were definitely out of a job. <laughs> they wanted you to be able to have that strategic thinking capability to sure. do do that. But um yeah, the, the world's a big, a really big place. You know, I love that you use the word change your view because I think looking at your history of career, mm -hmm. I feel like you have done that in mm -hmm. so many times. Mm -hmm. um, so tell me right now at your job where you are right now at the Center for Family Services, what are you doing to change the view on diversity in uh, New Jersey? So first, internally at Center for Family Services, um, and this goes back decades because our CEO has been there for 40 years and he's absolutely fabulous. We've been voted one of the top workplaces, you know, for over 12 years. They have an intercultural competency committee. So um, two women share that and there's a whole group of employees that are on there. And we have kind of their versions of employee resource groups of, you know, subcommittees that we're involved in. We've looked at training. Um, I actually teach one of the new hire experience trainings for cultural competency and just go through the things that their expectations. So they just came out with a, a new um, campaign called Everyone Belongs, and that's in addition to what they're doing. So whether we're working with Kaleidoscope to help LGBT youth um, you know, feel comfortable in their own skin throughout South Jersey or we're working with any of the other number of diverse populations, that's one part of it. But I also work with the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services that all the agencies that get funded through the state under DMAS, they have to have cultural competency plans um, wow. to keep up their funding source. So there's 200 plus agencies. So me and a staff throughout the state, we work with all these agencies to help them build a cultural competency plan. And what's different about this is it's social work and it's case management. So it's that level of that um, 
that worker that is meeting with the end user and the client to make sure that that cultural competency is respected for whatever they need. Because all cultures could maybe have a different version of what they think mental Cert- health is about. Right, exactly. So a big part of my dissertation was, even though I interviewed 12 extremely brilliant chief diversity officers um, from corporate education and from government, None of them had a background in trauma-informed care and mental health. So as we're talking about some things that can be triggering, sure, um, because there's a lot that goes into cultural competency, that next level is what we love. And so I was able to, to look at those things and be able to help people look at that. So it's really an exercise in leadership to get these agencies to not only make sure that they are hiring people that can address the population that they serve um, from the geography that they have, language barriers, a number of different things, but also accessibility and you name it, there's a lot involved in it. So these plans are written that we have these regional trainings, we bring leadership in, we talk to them a little bit about their organizations. And most people are doing something in cultural competency, even if they don't realize it. So how do we look at that and then expand upon it and then build upon it year over year? Because one thing that I was really adamant about is I'm not a one and done kind of person. If you're only going to talk to me in February for Black History Month, I'm not helping you. Correct. If you're going to make this part of your climate. It's more than that. Yeah. It's got to be the everyday thought process. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't I don't get to be the minorities that I am just on certain awareness months just, yeah just on the one, one yeah two months. and then you forget the other 11 months like we're part of this together yeah, exactly you know so i think that i've been able to um already just in my short tenure look at things through even a little bit more of a critical lens coming sure. from the outside saying wow these agencies are doing such amazing work what else can I do to help support them? Um, and some of them are doing things that are just tremendous. What are some unique things that you've been seeing? I saw an agency in South Jersey that did a, a full week of wellness, for especially for the women in their organization. So they went to each of their individual locations a different day. And then we had a panel discussion for Women's History Month. And what was nice is they brought in all the resources to make sure that people know um, what you should do to be healthy, Um, mentally and physically Mm -hmm. even our organization just started the 10,000 step challenge where you have like x period of time that you track your steps and things like that um there's a wellness program where there's yoga that you can do and wellness meetings that you can attend and really think about uh, and I think COVID has done this for us as well it has given people a chance to sit down for five seconds and really think about kind of their behaviors and if what they were doing wasn't good for themselves and statistically speaking, you know, we have a lot of things already against us. Um, for as many people that are really disrupted by COVID, heart disease, horrible for women, horrible for people of color. Yes. There's so many different things that don't get addressed for a multitude of reasons. Um, and if we can have an organization that focuses on that and forces people to, we even did um, at our organization, we did an incentive for people to get vaccinated and boosted. So again, any little thing that we can do to help people be safer and to really make sure that they're within their own spaces can do everything that they possibly can by giving them that extra time to take care of themselves. It's fantastic. You know, you've always been like this powerhouse. Um, and and I wanted to call this the commander, communicator, and executive, because I feel like those are names. Like if you were like a super woman, superhero, I don't know what you'd be called, but you have like such great power and, and a leader in, in, in the area. Um, talk about how the 
military piece connects to to you because I find it very interesting that a lot of people that I talk to that have a mili- military connection have this like just really p- powerful connection to public speaking mm-hmm. and to being able to share stories and you're just one of those women. So I can tell you that uh, I could speak in front of 5,000 people and not blink and then other things I'd be terribly embarrassed but it- <laughs> I don't see that though, but okay. I know we all have our own like internal things. We juggle, but so when I I took the job at the American Red Cross um, for Camden, Burlington, and and Gloucester counties, we answered 200 fire calls a year. Um, I had an opportunity at the time because there there were five main missions for the Red Cross, and one of them is service to the armed forces. So some people might real not realize that if you have a family member that's in the military and you need to come back home for any type of issue, you call the Red Cross and they work with the commanders to get people back. They work with a lot of resiliency training, mm-hmm. things that people didn't realize that that's what the Red Cross did. And Clara Barton, who founded the Red Cross, yes. is from Bordentown, New Jersey. So again, a local powerhouse in Burlington County, all the work that she did to provide for the military. So I had gone to a fire and um, a four-year-old had perished in the fire. And I thought, I cannot do this work. I, I really don't know what I'm doing. Um, and at the same time, I was blessed to be an honorary commander for the Joint Base McGuire Dix Lakehurst. And I go to one of their distinguished visitor tours, and I'm feeling just pained. Pained as a parent, pained as you know a member of society, pain that you know these fires would really just ravish people's homes. And, sure. and what else could we possibly ever do to fix that? Um, and I get on this little mobile jitney to go to one of the, the train locations. And they said, wait a minute, we have a, another person join us. And in walks a Catholic priest. And they go, oh, wait, one more person. And walks like a Presbyterian minister. And I said, okay, God, you, you didn't just send me one person from the middle. From, you I know, feel like ministry. a joke's coming on, right? Yeah, you sent me two because you know I wouldn't listen to just one. And I ended up sitting in the back of this little jitney. And I said, how do you do this? How do you continue to support these types yeah. of things? So we had this tremendous conversation. And then as an honorary commander, I've been paired up with senior enlisted members of the military at the joint base. They're only usually with us for about two years before they take on to their next assignments. But we were able to shadow them, meet their families, show them our New Jersey, not just the Jersey Shore, Sopranos, New Jersey, but... <laughs> Why were the gardens? I say the Jersey Shore. You say this, friend. I understand. It's like any show uh, Jersey with it. Everybody thinks that's what Jersey is. They think that we're just all over the place. They really get to see our New Jersey. Our New Jersey. I like that. But when I would meet the the members of the military and I, I got... I had the opportunity to go on several military trips and I get into a military plane and they introduce me to, you know, a pilot or a boom operator. And the person's like the same age as my daughter and they're, they're disarming bombs and they're doing, and I thought, oh my God, do your parents know where you are? Do you want a lasagna? Like you start to (laughs) think, oh my God, you're a baby. What are you doing? Yeah. And you realize their dedication. Um, I've never seen a more selfless group of people, spouses, family members, and our military that... It is the most favorite thing that I get to do, other than my own family, is to do stuff with the military. I'm honored every single time I go into the base. I'm honored to have met every single person I met over the years. So thankful for social media that I get to keep in contact with them and hear their stories. Um, Unbelievable 
the things that they've done and what they continue to do to keep us safe as a nation. It's unbelievable. Um, and I will never the second guess that. unsung heroes. Unbelievable. So many powerful stories untold. And you meet but, women that are in command yeah. of these troops, and I've seen the most badass women that you could I'm ever sure. imagine. Oh, my God. Um, I've seen women clean a gun in like four seconds, put it back together. I've seen them talk about all the different things that they've done and, and overcome. And, and it's just been fantastic. So now I get a chance to um, be on the board of Burlington County Military Affairs. We get to support the troops while they're here, raise enough money to be able to give back to them so they can do things to reward and recognize, you know, the troops while they're here um, and just help bring any of that other, you know, information that we can with their spouses. We just did a spouse's trivia night a couple months ago. <laughs> So we all got to dress up and, and do trivia, which was hilarious. Like, I know nothing about trivia. But that all goes back yeah. for, for tuition and um, scholarships for military families. I think during our talk here, you have said so many different organizational names that you are involved in. What are the highlights of your career so far of the organizations that you're in, because there's probably mm -hmm. listeners that don't even know half of these organizations and maybe they want to get involved. So what are some of the highlighted organizations that you've worked with in your career? So for on the nonprofit side, the American Red Cross, I will always continue to do that. I actually work on their statewide diversity committee. Um, I will always spend time and have so much respect for uh, the blood drives and for the disaster services um, until you've seen somebody go through those things. You have no idea um, exactly the challenges that they fit. Um, Burlington County Military Affairs and the 200 Club that support um, the military and the 200 Club that supports first responders, again, unsung heroes, people that are doing things selfishly, largely as volunteers. They give up time with their own families to make sure that somebody else is safe. Um, and why fires happen so late at night and in the middle of the night is unfathomable, but they're the ones that come out in the middle of the night. I'm also on the board of the Alice Paul Institute. I'm a very firm believer in the Equal Rights Amendment and rights for women. And Alice Paul's journey, um, and actually both my grandmothers were born in 1911, and to know that in like 1920, Alice Paul, you know, orchestrated a march to to help start the challenge for yes. women's rights to vote, mm -hmm. and then shortly after it was um, all the sororities that were formed in the you know black communities right before that that took it even further to make sure that everybody had the right to vote. But she was just instrumental in, in starting that ball rolling. I can't even imagine, can't imagine what it would have been like to be a woman in 1920 and have to go up against the establishment to try to get some of the basic rights and to fight other women who yeah. thought that the right to vote would would be condescending toward their spouses, Correct. Yeah. which is right. So very fortunate that those types of organizations are things that I get to be a part of. Um, and then also National Association of Women Business Owners in South Jersey has been also a fantastic group of women that... If you are starting a business or if you're in a business and you need, again, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and to put guidance into and motion. support and that support system we're talking about, those the Hacienda Divas, that's where you got to go. I've been really fortunate to do a lot of things that I love. Um, and I think, it, you know, at the end of the day, if I could raise Maltesers and live in a Maltese farm and, you know, <laughs> rescue puppies and turtles with my husband and yeah. kitties, like my daughter's cat, Albus. I, I mean, I have two little furry kids at home. Oh. I, I would do those things as well, too. So kind of the more money that I make, the more money I can, you know, 
help yeah. to support other things. Um, and just really fortunate. And in this area, there's something that everybody should volunteer their time for. It helps you go and meet new people. It gives you other ways to see how the world works. Senior citizens, there's an amazing little gem in Willingboro for senior citizens to go to. You want to make, you know, arts and crafts one day. You want to take yoga. You want to play pool. It's right there. You know, there's not anything that you could ever possibly want that you couldn't get here. I know. It's an amazing, amazing area to, mm-hmm. to be. It's it's really it's, it's, it's beautiful, mm-hmm. but there's so many resources, so many resources out there. And you're a part of so many. It's really stunning it, to see. It, it's a good life. And it's been great. It's been great to have my daughter by my side since the time she was little. You know, I'd go to board meetings. She would be sitting next to me. I, you know, I'm take, what taking an my inspiration that, that mm-hmm. is for, for, for your daughter to see you and, and to see you now, doctor. <laughs> well, I took my husband to a Hindenburg Memorial a couple of years ago at the joint base and we, we drove in and we're sitting at the hangar and he's looking at me like his five-year-old self, um, <laughs> you know, with the history channel yeah. all of a sudden was just, you know, engulfed in just the memories and the thought process. And uh, I wouldn't have known any of that if it wasn't for this journey that I'm on. So where do you see your future going? I will always do some work in cultural competency. So whether I get to teach again, um, whether I get to, you know, continue to work with agencies and to broaden that scope through the state of New Jersey. Um, I don't see myself being somebody that will leaving New Jersey. I mean, that we just love being here. We love the shore. We love going to, you know, the city, you know, being able to go to Manhattan and do so many things. We're, we're really content with being Jersey people for a okay. multitude of reasons. Um, but I will always want to do something where I get to volunteer and help some of these groups always help women. They're without a doubt mentoring and, and continuing those types of things. Um, I think that those are the things that are really important to get that next generation um, to understand, just to be confident within yourself. And I know it's not easy. We're getting beat up a lot, but the, the mental health piece um, and the awareness piece um, just to be able to provide that kind of support mechanism, I think is is just one of the biggest gifts that we can give. On the Baroness podcast, what I do is what, when we're having our conversation, mm-hmm. I write down keywords and I turn those into powerful hashtags that mm-hmm. we could use. So I'm going to read a whole bunch that I wrote down and then I'm going to mm-hmm. turn to you and I want to ask you what your hashtag is for you. Mm-hmm. So let's just read throughout our conversation here. This mm-hmm. is what's been going on. Hashtag make that change. Hashtag conversations. Hashtag be that conduit. Pay it forward. Posse of divas. Senior leaders. Bright and curious. Mentor. Culturally competent. Understanding others. Spiritual. Nurturing. Spiritual activity. The norm. Our New Jersey. Everyone belongs. Women empowerment. Don't shortchange. Mutual respect, uh, power in this county, divas, make a memory, don't be afraid, memorialize, and equal rights for women. What would your hashtag be? Well, so I've, I've been really cheekily saying Juniverse because I thought that that was just a funny thing. It was one of my days where <laughs> I spoke too quickly and it just came out Juniverse. But I really think um, I didn't come this far to come this far is really um, 110% what I believe. The more I can give and get grace, I think would be the next one, because I think that the more we give ourselves grace, the more that we can do better together. I love Juniverse. 
I think it's hilarious. It what, just, what 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 else is going on on Juniper's? <laughs> it's a beautiful, bedazzled place where we um, have long nails and big hair and pointy shoes, and and we we eat a lot of cheese and drink a lot of wine. And I, I can't even explain it. I'm just so addicted to charcuterie boards and and you had wine. me at cheese and bedazzling. I think I like the bedazzling. I love it. Well, I. I want to thank you, Dr. Cernak, for joining uh, joining us today on the Baroness Podcast. It's been <laughs> wonderful speaking with you. Um, such an inspiration, so empowering. And I mean, anybody listening, even if they take one word that you said today and put it into motion, you know, the, the Burlington County will be a much better place. So thank you so much again. Um, you've been listening to the RCBC Baroness Podcast which highlights women in leadership while encouraging listeners to build their skills, connect with the community, and visualize the opportunities available to women in various professions. For more information about this podcast or other podcasts available on the RCBC Podcast Network, visit rcbc.edu slash podcast. Take care. Thanks. You've been listening to the RCBC Baroness Podcast, which highlights women in leadership while encouraging listeners to build their skills, connect with the community, and visualize the opportunities available to women in various professions. For more information about this podcast or other podcasts available on the RCBC Podcast Network, visit rcbc.edu slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the RCBC Baroness Podcast available on all streaming platforms.